You're a fuzzy little. Oh no, the silliness. <laughs> You're a fuzzy little. The silliness is hit. <laughs> Rachel, come on down with your confession. <laughs> Megan, get it together. <laughs> uh, oh, it's silly. It's really silly. Oh, my God. I should not be encouraging it, but it's my favorite. I love when Megan completely emotionally unravels into laughter, but, like, it's, like, there's oh, I can, I can see it. you with your eyes are just egging me <laughs> on so I am. I am. <laughs> Gosh darn it all to Christmas morn. <laughs> what is it with you and Christmas morning right now? It's, it's February. Like, dude. I'm muting myself. I'm taking go. myself out of this conversation. Welcome to Montessori Moms in the Wild. We are three trained Montessori guides and new moms. We are not here to be your guide per se, but simply to share, commiserate, and even inspire each other on this wild journey. Each episode, we will discuss a different element of the Montessori philosophy, explaining why it is one we find so important and interesting, and then take turns being blatantly honest about how we succeed and struggle with these practices in real life. There is no Montessori album for parenthood, and we are certainly in no shape to write one. Our hopes are that together we can remind ourselves of what is important to us as Montessorians and as mothers in a way that might help other parents, or at least entertain them. So sit back and relax as we take Montessori out of the textbooks and into the wild. Welcome everyone. My name is Rachel. I am soon to be mother of two with Montessori training and infant toddler, ages birth through three years old. I am here with Laura, mother of one, who has a Montessori training in lower elementary and upper elementary, ages six through 12. And Megan, mother of two with her training in lower elementary, ages six through nine. Let's start by catching up. What has everyone been up to this week? Megan, if you want to share first. Well, I I just want to start off by shaming. <laughs> I love it. I love it already. My good friend, Laura. <laughs> what? Are you serious right now? So we were, this is your fault. We were supposed to start right at 730, okay? And then we didn't. And so this is all your fault. I just want to show you what you did to me. So I'm holding up a glass of wine. I sat there for too long just envisioning this chilled bottle of white wine in my refrigerator. And after several minutes, I just couldn't resist. So I went and I poured myself some. So if it gets silly, it's your fault. Okay. okay that's fair. That is absolutely fair. It's absolutely fair disclaimer to make about your adult choices. <laughs> and I will take it. I will shoulder it. Or it'll get dark. With the one glass of wine because I'm a mother and I am a lightweight. Super lightweight. Yeah, dude. Me too. Me too. I also um, tripped on the way coming back from the refrigerator. Hadn't had a sip yet. So it's just downhill from here. Yeah. I feel like. Can only get better. Um, I would join you in that, except I think I did try that for one episode, one that never made it to the air. So I learned my lesson. If you guys think I'm long-winded now, holy cow, do not give me 
mom juice. Okay. And Rachel, I apologize for drinking this right in front of your pregnant face. Yeah, right in her face. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it just National Margarita Day too? I love margaritas, but oh well. Rachel, soon, soon enough. Very soon. Um, all right, I guess I'll go next. I don't even have... Wait, was that your Sharon? Was just to yell at me because you had to get a glass of wine? I mean, that was fine. Her Sharon. I just want to make yeah. sure that you got everything that you needed to say out. The highlight of my day. Okay. Well, you're welcome. And I'm sorry. I'm not I'm not sure what you want from me now. Um Oh gosh. I well, our long weekend that we just so recently spoke of is over. It's dashed to bits. The week is back. And um I feel like the thing that is giving me life right now is that my child is so verbal and it's getting so, so, so fun. Like she just babbles, like she will like build a little tower, right? Something she's done thousands of times over the last however many months, ever since she's figured out that she could do something like that. Except now if I sit there and watch her, she's like, this goes there and this goes there and this is here. And she just is narrating her little like plan and her experience. And I just guys, I'm dying. Like I just, I know that I will get to a point in parenthood. I know this because I work with lower elementary age students where it will stop being cute that they never stop talking. There will be a point where I'm going to be like, gosh, I just wish for two seconds. I mean, and this is your child. So if you're long winded, right. what are the chances she's (laughs) Ever gonna stop talking? <laughs> never. She's never gonna stop talking. Luckily, right now, I am here for it. I'm her biggest fan. I really love listening to her babble and string together things that actually no longer sound like babble really anymore. Like I understand what you just asked me for, clear as day, or you just, you know, made a connection between this thing and something that happened two days ago out loud. And I'm like, wow, that is cool. You're so cool. I just love that. That's my happy Sharon for my week so far. Well, the highlight of my week was we had a play date all together. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Do you like how mine was that Laura made me drink wine and we had like this beautiful, wonderful play date <laughs> that Megan we and I completely forgot about already. <laughs> just blocked it right out. Never happened. Thanks, guys. No, it was so good. We haven't seen. I haven't seen Megan in forever and we all got to be together and our children were just hilarious and hoarding toys <laughs> and playing in the leaves and it was so good. It was so good for my heart. And then Oh my gosh. There's nothing like a spontaneous leaf pile fight. Yeah. I mean, how cute was where'd they even like learn how to do that? So they're cute. so cute. And they're so Montessori kids. Like at one point they're all like in the backyard, all doing different things, just whatever they wanted. <laughs> And it's the best thing ever. But that was definitely the highlight of my week. And tomorrow's Thursday. So that's really great too. Yeah, I feel like we, I don't really think about how important it is to connect with other moms in person, like in real life, and how just rejuvenating it is for the soul. Because I mean, I love my husband. I know we love our husbands, but there is something about getting together with other moms who know what you're going through and be able to share. And it's really important. And I feel like I don't get to do it enough, especially with this pandemic. Like yeah, most moms listening probably 
have that feeling that they don't get that social time and that time to share enough. And I'm really grateful that we got to do that. Definitely. And if that's all for Sharon's, let's move on to our topic for the day. Laura, if you want to move into that for us. Okay. So today we are going to talk about something that we have had parents ask us about both as teachers and now as podcasters. How do I handle my child crying? So emotions are the first expressions a human experiences after birth. In the beginning stages of life, a child's emotional development is largely impacted by the love and affection the child has shown. Most of us know that, right? The environment around the child, other people, the literally everything else that you can consider part of the environment also honestly have pretty huge effect on a child's adaptive functioning. The child's relationships with the adults who care for them and are regularly a part of their life really help influence and guide the child's development of their own personality. Okay, you cannot completely control the outcome of a child's personality because as we talked about in preparation of the parent, that is not possible, nor is it your job. That combination of genes came together to make that child and that child will have their own natural personality. But there's a lot that you can do to impact the unfolding of that personality. If trust and respect are in place, then the child will have a sense of worth, a sense of security, autonomy, and independence. But a child's emotional development is not going to happen overnight. It's very slow. It will progress over a long period of time. It will come with ups and downs. So you'll make quick progress some weeks and slow progress others. As they are developing emotionally, more than likely crying will be involved, like a lot. <laughs> and here are just a few of the reasons that children may cry. They're overtired and exhausted. They're hungry, especially in the newborn stage. Those are kind of your, no, your main two right there. They're overstimulated. Interestingly enough to think about, there's too much going on. Um, they're stressed out. They're genuinely physically injured. They want your attention. They want something else in the vicinity that they can't get to or can't communicate to you. And probably most frustrating of all of the potential reasons, sometimes they're crying just because they want to escape the situation, the demand that's being put on them, the expectation, um, the fact that they're being told no, and they would like to get right out of that. Sometimes it's just a form of escape. So basically everything, <laughs> everything can potentially cause crying, right? Or at least that's how it feels. How do we approach the multitude of tears that we face as parents? Well, as Montessorians, we're coming to it from the background that Maria Montessori taught us to deeply respect children. And this includes allowing them to make mistakes and feel all of their feelings. Maria said, children are human beings to whom respect is due. They are superior to us by reason of their innocence and of the greater possibilities of their future. Let us treat them with all the kindness which we would wish to help develop in them. Basically, lead by example, practice what you preach, show them the respect and kindness that you expect of them towards you. Respecting a child emotionally requires us to check our own feelings, our own reactions to the situation, 
and allow them to truly feel those big feelings, even the negative ones, again, safely, okay, always making sure there are parameters that they're able to feel their emotions safely, but that ultimately they're allowed to feel them like all the way through. This comes with a lot of questions. So some of the questions that we've gotten include, when is it okay to cry? How long is it okay to cry? Like at what point is that not an appropriate response? How should we respond to our child crying? Should we just ignore the crying, especially if it is kind of a consistent and, you know, seemingly ridiculous reason? Um, What if we are staying calm and we're validating the feelings and they're just not stopping? How long do we engage with the crying? So there's so much that comes along with crying and we want to support you through this emotional experience for you and your child. So ladies, talk to me. What are your thoughts on crying? How do you handle it? What do you wish people knew? What have you talked about with people in the past? Go, Megan. So last week we talked about Maria Montessori and that she was a doctor, she was an anthropologist, um, which is the study of humans. So the way that she approached everything was through a scientific and objective lens. So observing and understanding humans' needs. I feel like I bring this up every week and I will continue to do so until I'm dead and buried in the ground, (laughs) that it starts with us as parents. There is nothing wrong with our children. They are humans. We all get sad. We feel angry. We feel disappointed, happy, scared, confused, all the feelings. And this is part of the human experience. But for so many of us, we were taught that showing emotions is weakness or something that needs to be corrected or that it's going to make you too sensitive, whatever it may be. So... As always, I'm going to say that I think it begins with us and our past and how we feel when our children are crying. So I think it's important to think when my child starts crying, how do I feel? What emotions are coming up in me? And kind of dig into that. So that's, those are, that's my initial thought as always. Yeah, no, I I like that you're sharing that because it's so true because I'm totally, as a mom right now, like I'm in this, I'm like living this. Um, I live it all the time at school, but it's so different at home when you have to be somewhere and then they have this tantrum and they're crying and screaming and I'm feeling already that like way more buttons are pushed with me at home than at school. And I'm thinking like, why am I getting so frustrated? I know this is normal. Like I, I know he needs to be feeling these feelings, but it's like some points I'm on my last straw. So um, I'm glad that we're discussing this because I think you're so right. It really does start with our past and our triggers, which I know we've talked about many, many times, but I think that's a very good place to start. The first thing I'll say is you are going to meet this extremely escalated child. And if you allow yourself to be as escalated, it is, I know I've used this metaphor before, pouring gasoline on a fire. Like your energy is absolutely just feeding into their swirling hurricane of an emotional situation right now. They feel you. I mean, 
they've done that their whole lives. If you're someone who's consistently been a caregiver, even if you're not, even if you're the teacher or someone who's temporarily and partially in their lives, children are so, so, so aware and sensitive to other people's emotions that if you're coming into it in an elevated state, you are not going to be able to de-escalate anybody and it is just going to make things worse. So checking where you're coming from and how you're responding to the to the tears is definitely going to be an important first step. I'm curious for both of you, did you growing up, was it okay to cry and be be sad? Were you supported in that? You know, I honestly can't remember. Like I I don't remember being like shamed or told like, no, you can't cry, stop crying. But I also don't remember like being able to just have my moment. Like I feel like sometimes I was like, go to your room. This is not acceptable right now when I probably just needed to scream into a pillow. I don't know. I I don't think like it was this big deal, but I also probably don't think it was as freely and respected as I would allow my child to do it now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I am having a hard time. I know. I'm like, am I like thinking? recalling? Because, and I think to ask my mom <laughs> the ages where that's so. I mean, if I thinking about like as a teenager and stuff, I I definitely had already learned how to hide my emotions, mostly to not be a burden. Like I've always been that kind of person that's like, oh, I don't want to bum. You're like, I understand that energy affects other people. I think because I'm always affected by other people's energy, I feel like I need to be like the easygoing one, the path of least resistance. I feel like I was always surrounded by big emotional energy. So like I sort of made mine smaller and calmer to like ride through that more easily. But I feel like as a little kid, um, I do feel like I was allowed to feel things. I think really... If I were to really dig into it, if anything, when I felt super upset or negative emotions, I feel like my parents always did a very good job of quickly cheering me up and making me feel better. Yeah, and I think that's a good point. That is a thing that accidentally. That is a thing. I've noticed that so much with my daughter is that, so I'm very much in the camp of you cry as long as you need to. I will oh, be right totally. here yeah. and I will hold you and I will hug you. And that makes people really uncomfortable. Totally. <laughs> Letting uncomfortable. a child cry is really uncomfortable. Even my husband, he's like, Are you gonna do anything? Yeah, I, I was about to say, my husband says the same thing, like, you're just gonna let him do that. Like sometimes and I'm like, Yeah. 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 And I, I think that and I, I understand where it's coming from because one, it's uncomfortable to listen to a child cry like that. And then two, there's this fear of like they can't they can't regulate. They can't self-regulate. Like you have to help them. Like, oh, here's this shiny thing. Let's distract them. Do you want a candy? Oh, oh, here, look, here's a cookie. Or why don't you go watch this movie or something that they really enjoy? Let's go do that. Be happy. Be happy yeah. now. Yeah. And I think that the danger in that, of course, that there's no intent to be harmful. It's to cheer up your child, which is not a bad thing and is very... You do it because you love your children. But the danger there is that we're slowly creating people 
that need to be distracted from their emotions of, oh, okay, I'm having these bad feelings. I need something externally to cheer myself up, whether that be food, um, screens, uh, and eventually, I mean, I'm not saying that this is what happens, but sometimes it's uh, substances or um, relationships. So I think that this is really important. And that's kind of why I wanted to talk about it in that way is that when we're not just talking about, oh, hey, let your kid cry because releasing your emotions is good. It's really important because we're teaching little people how to be bigger people yeah. who can like do life <laughs> because it's a skill life is that, hard. <laughs> yeah. It's a skill that is needed forever and ever and ever and ever. Like, yeah. yeah. And I encourage anyone listening and myself as well to kind of dig in and be like, when I get upset, can I sit with that? Can I, can I get myself out of that by myself or do I need something externally to help me get out of that hole? And I think for me, as a teacher um, in the classroom, parents observe, teachers observe. There's definitely been times where a child is crying, maybe when somebody looks in or walks by, and it looks like they're kind of being ignored. Um, they maybe are sitting at a table crying or in the cozy corner crying. And um, I've been asked before, like, why were they just crying? Well, I was giving them space. Like, we, I had already dealt with it. I knew, I knew why that child was crying or what was happening in that instance. And I was letting them feel their emotion, but that is freaky to people who are coming by and observing or looking in like, wait, Rachel's just going to sit there and let a child cry. It's, it's not, it's, it's definitely not like that. I probably had already talked them through what was happening and gave them a message and shared with them when your body is ready or when you're ready to talk to me, I can give you a hug or this or that. But it's also, I, I, I want to make the point of it's also okay for you to walk away. Like you don't have to coach your child through the whole thing. Yes. Name their emotions. Yes. Um, be present by them, but you don't have to sit there the whole time and like say every word and talk them through it because they also need their space and you're going to learn your child like they're going to cry many 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 times so many so many so of course the first time like you start observing and really watching as Maria did you're you're figuring out typically they're going to have like a cycle of a cry especially if they're younger they're going to have a cycle of kind of a tantrum and that's going to be kind of their normal tantrum crying kind of experience. And you're going to learn that as a parent and know when you need to step in and when they really just need space, if that makes sense. I think if you're observing and looking at it through that lens, you're going to learn that as a parent. But I think otherwise it is totally very easy to go through the entire stage of that part of a child's life with multiple children back to back and still not feel comfortable or sure on what to do with the constant crying. I think at the very least, crying is irritating. At the very least, the sound is irritating. Yeah. On a like deeper uh, instinctual level for many people, not for everyone, but for many people, it is something that you are like programmed to respond to, especially to the sound of your own child crying. It sends you into panic. It's like, it's flight or fight right there, right? So like 
for a lot of people, it is an immediate stress response, immediate stress response. So if you don't have good tools to deal with those kinds of stress responses, then you're not going to in the moment catch yourself and have the most perfect idyllic reaction to it. I So I'm looking at um, kind of the science behind yeah. crying and what's happening um, when our children are crying and maybe why it's important because I think something that I hear often is and there's a fear too, I think for all of us as parents is like, are we coddling our children by allowing them to cry and have temper tantrums and kind of feel these feelings? So this comes from today's parents and it says all mammals produce tears round the clock to make sure their eyes don't dry out and in response to irritation, but psychic tears, the type produced as part of the human emotional response that leads to crying are exclusive to humans. They even have a different chemical makeup, an endorphin and natural painkiller, hence that feeling of having a good cry. So basically it's talking about how there's kind of this process that happens both in the brain and in our hormones that is a full process from feeling the feeling, processing the feeling, then resolving the feeling of having a feeling of acceptance and being able to feel those endorphins at the end. So instead of thinking of it as we're trying to coddle our children or turn them into sensitive little snowflakes. What we're trying to do is help them feel comfortable through that process. And also, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but when I let my child cry and from beginning to end until she's ready to be done, there is a natural kind of bounce back that happens. And when and when I don't let her feel it all the way, that tantrum and or that feeling of sadness can carry through. And I think yeah. it's similar to us as adults. If something happens that really hurts us and we kind of bury it down and we don't feel it, it keeps coming back up eventually until maybe it comes up in not a productive way or in an overly exaggerated way. So yeah, I feel like I didn't explain that very I well. I don't know. I feel like you explained it extremely well. That there is, there's a cathartic process in the cry, in crying. That um, yeah, I mean, you I nailed so it when too. you said everyone's heard of the expression. I had a good cry. You need a good cry, right? A good cry, meaning that you get it all out, and at the end of it, you are just like. <gasps> Oh my God, I feel so much better. Yeah. So it says here that the system is divided into two parts, sympathetic, which produces aggressive responses and parasympathetic, which helps us to process our emotions and ultimately rest. So we do have to see it to the end in order to find that ultimate rest and to feel resolved. And I don't know if you feel this way, if you have maybe an argument with your spouse and if they just said like, stop crying and get over it or here's a cookie, like that doesn't work. Yeah. You, I need to feel resolved. That's the thing. <laughs> yes. In fact, I think we've shouted them out before, but Big Little Feelings has posted similar things. Like imagine you just got home on the worst freaking day of your life. Like everything went wrong, right? Whatever it is for you, every trigger for you was pressed or at least 
your major ones, right? And then you get home and you're like trying to unload about your day to your partner or whoever is in your life. And they're like, that doesn't sound like a big deal. Get over it. You know, like just at any point where your emotions are belittled or put down or put on a back burner or basically told that they're not valid or necessary or that they're causing someone else trouble or strain or stress. So like, can you just not be having a bad day right now? Because like, I'm having a bad enough day right now. And like, I don't need you to be adding to my day. Like any of that, if an adult is met with any of that, you can imagine how frustrating that is, how like, that's just so frustrating. And that is exactly how a child feels, but they don't even have the ability to understand that that's what's happening to them. They just know that the people in their lives that they're counting on for support in those situations are telling them, stop crying, you're being ridiculous, you know, this is, and, and I'm going to punish you for it. Or alternatively, oh, no, 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 stop crying, stop crying, please don't feel anything, please don't feel anything bad ever. Like it's, not only is it not your job as a parent to make sure that they never feel anything bad ever, you cannot physically do that. So like, stop trying, give yourself a break and also give yourself comfort in knowing that it's not the right and best thing to do for your child. So it's, it's okay if you stop doing that. It's necessary, really. So this topic came from a specific kind of problem that's happening in the classroom. So why did this conversation come up and what are teachers yes. seeing? So she was actually talking about kind of somewhat the opposite of what we are chatting about. She was saying that at some point in her classroom, she has kindergartners or older children, maybe the leaders in her classroom, who are getting very upset or having these crying moments that aren't really necessary. And it's kind of just attention seeking. And um, then that's a moment where they don't need to be like, coddled and talked through the whole process so she was talking about the opposite but then I had a discussion with her about how I get parents don't want to see them cry and they're bothered by the crying so she was like well you should do an episode on that (laughs) so um that's kind of where she was coming from so let's hit on that too yeah I want to hit on that for a second because it was something that Laura touched on at the beginning was wants attention and um And I think that this is kind of an important thing to talk about because yes, 100%, they will cry because they want your attention and we can still give them attention if that's what they need. We're still meeting their needs, but maybe we're not meeting that in the way that they anticipated. So I think that uh, Laura talked about this, what in praise and punishment, Laura, you were discussing about meeting needs and, and a child behaving in a certain way because they have a need that me- needs to be met. And if they're crying because they want attention and that is being met by crying, then they will continue to do that. Yes, exactly. That a child's behavior will is solely to serve a purpose. It's solely to get a certain outcome. So they will figure out which behaviors are serving them. And if they have already figured out that you are busy on your phone, your laptop, your whatever, watching the TV, cooking dinner, literally anything other than them. And as soon as they start crying, you drop everything and come running, or at least give them more of your one-on-one attention than they were getting before that moment, then that is a 
definitely a learned behavior that they will repeat that that equals attention, reaction, whatever it was that they were trying to get out of you. So that, and you know what, Rachel, that's an important distinction to make. So as they get older, right, we do start to talk uh, like the grades that Megan and I worked with first, second, and third. We talk a lot about emotional regulation and we have lessons. So we use a curriculum called the zones of regulation. And we talk about the size of your problem versus the size of your reaction. So with little, little kids, right, birth up through easily like five and six, this is a pretty tough concept, but from six and up. So if you're listening with older kids, you can talk about, there are various sizes of problems, right? So for an example, I dropped my pencil that I was using to do my work versus my house is on fire. Okay. So your house on fire is like the highest level problem that there can be like things are in danger, your body's in danger, like this is a bad situation. You can have at that point a level 10 reaction. Your pencil rolling off of your table, not a big deal in the grand scheme of things. Your body is safe, nobody's in danger, it's quite an easy thing to fix. So your reaction to that needs to be or should be at some point down towards the bottom of emotional reactions, more like a one like a 0.5, really. So in those ages, when you have kids whose pencils roll off the table and it's tears immediately, my pencil rolled off the table and I can't do my work. That's when you do have to start sitting down and having the conversations like, this reaction does not match the size of the problem and start figuring out, okay, so what is it that you're looking for really? Like this there's some, something else most likely is going on there. Anything from this kid has had a tough morning, maybe they overslept, underslept, any number of combinations of things that could have happened before they got to you that day. Like, Let's unpack a little bit what's going on really that's giving you that reaction, which is a little bit easier to do with older kids. It sounds like the teacher who came to you, who's a children's house teacher, is dealing with kids who are now on that cusp of being in the elementary ages and are quick to tears for literally everything, including things that, you know, where that would be really not an appropriate reaction to have anymore, but have learned that the adults in their lives generally jump when the, when the first tear appears. So that's what they're expecting to see of their teacher. Right. And their teacher is like, yeah, no, this is not the reaction that you're going to get from me. I think that yeah. they can be labeled as manipulative, um, but like you said, it it is self-serving, whatever need that they do have. And so I, I would just say, and I know it's hard to do in the moment because it's just kind of, like you said, it's irritating. Yeah, it, really it just is. grinds every gear. Yeah. yeah. And so I think that it's important to see what is the need. The need mm-hmm. is attention, okay? We don't have to get that attention and we don't have to award that behavior, but can we give that child positive attention? So can we give them a job in the classroom because they feel like they need attention? Can we give them, can they take attendance? Can they be the person that walks the younger children to wherever it is they're going? Can we give them responsibility or as a parent, do they need you to spend time with them? Should you go read a book together? So I think seeing what you said, Laura, kind of digging deeper, what is the actual need and how can we 
meet that need because we're not trying to deprive our children from their needs. But what we are trying to do is help them express those feelings in a way that is productive. And that doesn't mean not feeling them. It means that if I, as an adult, am feeling something that's painful, that I can use my coping mechanisms to help myself, one, know myself enough to be like, okay, this is what this is. And this is how I know to help myself feel better or feel, um, yeah, this is what this is. And this is how I'm going to get through uh, it. This is how I'm going to get through it because I have to get through it. And, and I think, and of course we're all going to, we all kind of have this mindset because we are Montessorians and this is like where our mind goes to, but respect is such a big thing. Respecting adults. We're respecting (laughs) that child. Just like Maria explains in her beautiful quote that Laura read earlier, um, children are human beings to whom respect is due. We are respecting them in whatever they're going through in that moment. And we really have to dig deeper into that moment to know, depending on the age of the child, the root of what's happening. So really respect is the overarching thing of responding. They, They deserve a response in some way. So respect. And I want to circle back really quickly to Megan, you saying it feels manipulative or something you said, something about manipulating. The really important thing that I want to pass on about um, the idea that your child is manipulating you. If you have a younger child, especially if we're talking birth through age six, I'll say as like young, young kid, they're not manipulating you. Okay, I will prove that to you scientifically by explaining that this is just not a skill they have fully mastered because there are skills that need to be in place before this that they're still working on. So they need to be able to have the ability to think hypothetically about a situation like, well, if I were to do this, what would be the outcome type of thing? The very young brains, not able to do this yet. They are very much in the here and now. It is all about the present. I want this thing now. Give it to me now. There is no hypothetical situation going on for them. Critical and rational thinking. If you have a child between zero and six, you know rational is not an adjective that you would use to describe most of their life choices. Okay, so clearly not something that's in place yet. Empathy and impulse control. Clearly, again, no impulse control. That shouldn't even, that, that's kind of a no-brainer if you're living with this age in your life currently. And empathy, so that's an interesting one because you have to have some level, some advanced really level of empathy in place to be able to put yourself in that other person's situation in their shoes and their mindset and think about how they might feel if you were to do this or that. So to say that someone's manipulating you definitely means that they are intentionally causing you to feel and react a certain way to get something for themselves. And based on all of those aforementioned criteria that must be in place before you can manipulate someone, that is simply not happening in a little brain. They are not able to think, hey, if I do this to mommy, I know exactly what's going to happen. I'm going to do this on purpose to make her feel guilty and frustrated and this and that and this and that. That is not what's going on in there. I mean, it's actually the complete opposite. So when there is a tantrum going on, there's that fight or flight response going on. They are fully and completely out of control. There is not any plotting going Mm -hmm. on. They are in 
a survival mode in their brain and are unable to think clearly, to make rational decisions, to learn anything from you. This is purely a time where they need support and for you to be with them because how scary would that doesn't yeah. feel to feel completely out of control? That's a scary feeling, especially for a young child who maybe has never felt that before. Yeah. So I just want to put that out there because I do feel like a lot of the frustration in dealing with crying and dealing with tantrums and meltdowns comes from feeling like you are being manipulated and feeling like if you were to take this Montessori slash gentle parenting approach, you are just giving them what they want. You're giving into this manipulation. And I just want everyone to understand you are not because they are not manipulating you. All of those skills that I mentioned, those are formed in your prefrontal cortex. That is the last area of your brain to develop. And really, it's not even like fully, fully solid and done until your 20s. So it is certainly not a conscious manipulation happening with a very young child. And so if that helps you to be able to take a big deep breath and be like, okay, cool, 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 tight, 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 you are not doing this to me on purpose. You do not know what you're doing to me. That I feel like should help a lot. Okay, so they're not doing it to you on purpose. It is not your job to make it all better right away. Give them the opportunity to feel the whole feeling because it is a whole process that is 1000% necessary to their well-being genuinely. And what else, you guys? What, what, what other recap statements do we need to get in before we I move think on? I was beautifully wrapped up with a bow on top ready for Christmas morning. <laughs> <laughs> Metaphor. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Throw yep. it under the tree, sales. It's done. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's lighten things up and finish our show with a segment called Confessions from the Wild. Rachel, you're up. Well, I can just say I made this beautiful dinner and then we ate chocolate covered strawberries. So there you go. <laughs> I did see that in our stories. <laughs> yes. I mean, you got vitamin C. Yep. Some magnesium. Yeah. You're a you're a healthy goddess. <laughs> healthy, so healthy. That's why my voice is still hoarse. <laughs> <laughs> Megan, I'm gonna give you a minute, and I'm gonna just jump in and say my confession is, um, once again proving why I'm like the worst Montessori mom ever, and probably a really good <laughs> credential for me to brag about as I try to host this podcast. Um, my child at bedtime tonight, we had finished our little nighttime prayers and it's time for her to jump in her sleep sack. And she does like a couple minutes of like rocking chair with daddy. And then she goes to bed. And tonight she wanted very much to snuggle up on the floor instead of getting in her crib. She just kept saying, I sleep here. I sleep here on floor. I sleep on this rug. And I was like, Oh God, she's probably ready for a floor bed. Like she's probably, this is probably the beginning of her making it clear to me that she's done with her crib and she would like to have the freedom of her own bed. A very Montessori thing to do. A lot of, I don't know. I don't know how many Montessori parents do it. I know it's a, a thing that's suggested to put them on a floor bed right away. Like they never go into a crib. They're always on this like basically very tiny mattress on the floor that if they were to roll off, they'd be okay, right? Like no one gets hurt. Um, and at school, she's napping on a mat on the floor, which I understand is a very seamless process. She's very good at it. It's quick. She goes right down. She gets up. She stays on her mat, apparently, when she's awake and when others are sleeping. She's very good about it. I'm not ready. <laughs> like I 
Laura am not ready. And that includes everything from not having the appropriate furniture to like, oh my God, I know how that's going to look. I'm going to be just glued to the monitor the entire first how many nights? I don't even know how many nights I'm going to be like (sighs) sweating on the monitor. And then when she gets like, I do I have to hide more things in the room? Like, is that room really ready for her to have full reign of it when I'm not in there with her or even conscious? Like, what if she wakes up really quietly, super chill, and just like takes her little sleep sack off, which she does now randomly all the time, and goes to like get into something that I didn't like, did I secure her dresser to the wall like you're supposed to do when you build furniture? Because I don't know. And what if she tries to pull out all of her little drawers and make a staircase? I didn't. You know, I didn't make it. I absolutely didn't. I was like, she's not going to be doing that. Look what she's ready to do. She's about to be pulling stuff over on her head and I'm going to be like just beside myself. I don't know. I, she probably was ready for a floor bed and I am not. And I don't know what else to say about it. Any words of encouragement? Thank you. Oh, let me let me know let me know how that goes for you because I should probably do it too, <laughs> but I'm not. So at least I'm not the only one. No. Yeah, I do want to say that, like, as a collective, the three of us being our like self-proclaimed Montessorians, we, we <laughs> none of us, our children are still in cribs. None of us did the floor bed, and yeah. um. I, I, all of us had our reasons, me specifically, we have not been home basically the entire life of my child. And yeah, yeah, we've been all over the place and it just hasn't, we haven't been in a place where it's safe for her to, not that we live in unsafe places, but you know, like, but you can't baby proof every single. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, we've been staying in, in other people's homes, zoos and wildlife reserves and (laughs) the jungle minimum security prisons on Christmas morning. (laughs) Why? Why? Because you started it. <laughs> no, like you mentioned no, it. You and now started I have to bring it. it <laughs> brought it up a second time. At which point you forced me to mention it. <laughs> okay, Megan, what's your confession? <laughs> Thank you, Rachel, for mediating the two Ellie teachers. <laughs> you started it. No, you. <laughs> oh no. Okay. Oh, here we go again. And the funny thing is that my um my confession is like actually pretty dark. So I'm just gonna shift. <laughs> okay. You're just gonna giggle your way through it. <laughs> gonna take a little just take a little detour um into a very different feeling. <laughs> Speaking of feeling all of our feelings, no, because I was having a hard time thinking of a confession because I just, nothing was coming to mind. So I was kind of racking my brain of like, what can I just confess about myself in general that no one really needs to know, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, And I've talked about kind of embarrassing things. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'm going to talk about one of my fears as my confession. Okay. So I have a lot of irrational fears. My biggest irrational fear is tsunamis. Interesting. Okay. Interesting. <laughs> I don't live very close to the ocean, but I think about them every single day. Like really? every Seriously? single day. And if I don't think about them, I dream about them. Really? <laughs> if there are any listeners out there that are like dream, what do they call them? I don't know. Interpreters. 
call me on my cell phone <laughs> and tell me like what is wrong with me uh, and then call me and then call me because I have some questions yeah call me too because these pregnancy dreams <laughs> yeah and I mean like I know that most people don't like care to hear about other people's dreams so I won't go into detail but like I dream about them at least a few times a month and if I don't dream about them I think about them just all the time and I know the evacuation routes and I yeah so that's my confession is that I am deeply fearful of tsunamis all right let's wrap it up folks wrap it up like Christmas morning <laughs> oh it's just too it's too easy Thank don't you, you for guys think about Christmas search. every day okay. <laughs> <laughs> no I don't <laughs> Tsunamis and Christmas. <laughs> Christmas every day. Every single day. What an emotional roller coaster your life Nobody must be. Nobody listen to me about how to manage your child's emotions. I can't even breathe. No idea why. You're probably the most rational person I know. Okay. Okay. Kick me off. Thank you for listening to Montessori Moms in the Wild. If you enjoyed this episode, please follow us, subscribe, and rate. We are available on Spotify, and now you can find us on Apple Podcast. You can also follow us on Instagram at Montessori Moms in the Wild or email us at Montessori Moms in the Wild at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next week, stay wild. <laughs> I can't even look at you. <laughs> I can't look at you. I also can't look at you because there are tears flooding through my eyes as Rachel just soldiered through that outro beautifully and professionally, not looking at either of our stupid faces. I would have peed. I have silly fit, and they're your fault. <laughs> I think you the are so evil, right? <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.